Well, Luke chapter 19, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Luke, but uh, last time we were together, we were looking at the life of Zacchaeus. And uh, now uh, right here in verse 11, uh, this parable that Jesus is about to share with us this morning, uh, that parable took place right after this, this conversation. And, uh, and Jesus shared this parable because uh, he had a huge crowd that was following him. I mean, they were in Jericho. Jericho is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. And uh, they are on their way to Jerusalem. And everybody who's following Jesus knows about what is to occur, or what they hope that will occur in Jerusalem. And so in verse 11, we're just going to kind of walk through this this morning, um, a couple, a couple verses at a time. But in verse 11, it says, and they heard these things talking about Zacchaeus and he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. This is what they were anticipating, that Jesus was going to set up his rule and reign in Jerusalem, and they didn't want to miss it. Someone mentioned uh, they uh, came, they came uh, it, on the Sunday that it was Super Bowl. This was a Super Bowl atmosphere. I mean, it was electrified, and people were eagerly anticipating Jesus to set up his reign. It, it was like for children, Christmas Eve. Kids, you like Christmas Eve? Yeah, because you know what, what's going to happen the next morning. Well, that's the way these followers of Jesus were. They were so excited about what Jesus was about to do. And they had visions of Zechariah chapter 14. It's in your outline this morning. But this is what they were anticipating their eyes to see. Uh, verse 4 says, And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him, and on that day there shall be no light, cold or frost. The Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. This is what they didn't want to miss. And they fully anticipated this was going to happen. And Jesus is, knows this. He reads their minds. He knows what they're thinking. And he tells this parable. And in telling this parable, in essence, he's saying, guys, hold your horses. You know, these are some things that are to occur first. And so we read in verses 12 through 14. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. And then return, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him 
and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, it sounds a little bit familiar because in the context of this day, um, there was a there was a man named uh, Archelaus. He was the son of King Herod, and he had ruled. He was ruling and reigning over that portion of the region. And uh, Archelaus was a he was a bad ruler. I mean, he was a self-centered ruler. When King Herod, when his dad died, and the will was read, uh, the the region between him and his brother was divided up. And uh, but when Archelaus was told that he would be reigning over a group of people, and that he wasn't going to be entitled king, he got upset by that. But only only Caesar could give that person the title king. And so Archelaus, he was upset. And so he went to Caesar. He went to Rome to appeal his case. And as he was in Rome appealing his case, there were some other people, some Jews and Palestinians that um, from the region that also went to, to Rome. And they didn't want to have anything to do with Archelaus, let alone for him to be king. But Caesar heard uh, both sides of the story, and so he made, he made a decision that Archelaus was going to reign, but he wasn't going to receive the title of king. He would have to earn it. And, uh, but over that period of time, uh, Archelaus never earned the title king. He was always known as the wannabe king. And so as Jesus is sharing this parable about a nobleman going off, uh, he's also referring to himself. And this is where the story parts paths because Jesus isn't like Archelaus. Jesus is really going to go off, but he is going to be crowned king. He is going to be the king who is going to rule and reign forever and ever. And if you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, after what takes place with the resurrection, Paul says this, Therefore God has exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so following the resurrection, Jesus lived on the the earth for 40 days. But after 40 days, the Bible says he ascended to go to be with, with his father. And he is at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Bible says that Jesus is Lord of all. He rules and reigns today in heaven. He rules and reigns in people's hearts who have committed their lives to him. And one day, Jesus is going to return. And he's going to rule and reign physically forevermore. 
And so in reading this parable and, and, and what Jesus was saying here, before, before the nobleman went off, Jesus says that uh, he called his servants together. He called 10 of his servants together. And the Bible says he gave them all um, a mina. What's a mina? What is a mina? We don't know what a mina looks like, but uh, it is equivalent to three months wages. Okay, so suppose you make $60,000 a year. If you made $60,000 a year, that's $5,000 a month. And over a three-month period of time, that would be $15,000. That that is a good chunk of change. And Jesus in his parable is saying um, to to the servants, the nobleman is saying to his servants, is engage in business until I come. Now, this is different from the parable of the talents. We're familiar with the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. But in the parable of the talents, people are not given uh, an equal amount. They have different talents. They have different abilities. And so it's not equal. But with these 10 servants, it was all equal. All received three months wages. You know, in thinking in terms of that in the Christian life, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what what have we as God's children been given equally from God? You know, when it comes to, to abilities and gifts and talents, um, we're not all on the same playing field. But there are some things that God has given us equally together. And I want to propose three things. The first is truth. We have all been given the word of God. We all have the same Bible. And we all have the ability to get into it, to read it, to understand it, and appreciate it. And the central part of the Bible, my friends, is the gospel. We are, we are stewards of the gospel. We have received the good news. Do you understand what the gospel is in your life? The gospel is the fact that Jesus came And he lived the life that you and I could never live ourselves. He lived the perfect life. He did everything God had expected to him to live by. He lived the life that you and I couldn't. And then he died for our sin. We deserve the punishment for the wrong that we do. Every single day, we are the ones deserving of death, the punishment of sin. And yet Jesus took our sin upon himself 
and went to the cross and became the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus took our place. He took our punishment. Paid the price, paid the ransom price that the holy God asked because of sin. The Bible says that Jesus died. But three days later, he came up out of that grave. He conquered sin and death. And the only way that you and I can be forgiven of our sin, receive salvation, obtain God's favor, obtain God's approval in our life is through believing in what Jesus did for us. We can't earn forgiveness. There's not... There's nothing that we can do to earn God's approval. The Bible says we must only, we can only believe in what Jesus has done for us. That's what separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world. We, you know, ISIS is taking up the headlines today. They're a terrorist organization but they would call themselves a religion and they want to force people to live a certain lifestyle so that God might find favor with them. Again, it's religion. And every religion on the face of the earth is trying to do things to hopefully get God to love them. They're working their way up to God. Christianity is God came to us. And God lived the life that we couldn't live. And God died in our place. The death that we deserved because he loved us. And once to have fellowship and relationship with us. And that is only possible when we choose to believe that Jesus did it all for us. That's the truth. That's the story of this book. And it starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. This is the gospel. And the gospel has been entrusted to the church. This is the mystery of our faith. Mystery being that Jesus did it all for us. And he asks us to believe him. We've all been given the truth. We need to know that truth. We need to guard that truth. And we need to tell that truth. Not only have we been given the truth, but we've given t- been given time. Now, I'm not talking about the amount of time. You know, not everyone is going to live 100, lot, 100 years like Al Keck, okay? But, so I'm not talking about the length of time, but I am talking about the quality of time. We all have 24 hours in a given day. 
And God wants us to be good stewards of that time and take that time to invest in kingdom work. He's given us truth. He's given us time. And he's given us opportunities to serve God. My friends, if you are... If, if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus has invested in you and he wants you to be part of the kingdom building process. He never intends any of us to sit around and soak and just let everybody spoon feed you. No, he wants all of us to be involved in ministry. We all have opportunities to serve. And so Jesus in this parable is saying that this nobleman brought his servants together, all gave them a mina. And then in verses 15 through 19, this is what the parable says. When he returned, when, when the... Uh, When the king returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. So the first two servants that came back and uh, were uh, brought into the king's presence, one made ten minas, was given one one mina, $15,000. He comes back and shows the king, look, your investment, what you entrusted to me, has made $150,000. And the king says, well done, good servant. And then the second servant comes. He's, uh, a return on his investment is five minas. He has, uh, he's earned $75,000. And the king says, well done. You, you're going to reign over five cities. What, what is this passage of scripture telling us about the king? Well, first is that Jesus, he is going to judge believers. Just understand, friend, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we see with these first two servants, they've done good. What's their reward? Jesus is giving us a glimpse of eternity. He's giving us a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And in heaven, this first servant, Jesus says, you're going to rule, you're going to govern, you're going to oversee 10 cities. With the second service, servant, five cities. And you might be thinking to yourself, man, I thought, I thought heaven was going to be relaxing. 
I mean, the thought of having to rule and reign over ten cities, that is stressful. That sounds stressful to me. And for all eternity, remember what eternity is going to look like, friends. You know, in, in, in eternity, in heaven, everyone's going to be perfect. The people that you associate with, the people that you work with, there's no baggage. You'll enjoy working with them. And you might be thinking, there's work in heaven? Yeah. In the new heaven, in the new earth? This, this earth is going to be rede- redeemed. This earth is going to be restored. And there's going to be rulers. I mean, Jesus is going to be king. But if you read Revelation chapter 21, there's kings, there's rulers throughout the earth and they're coming in and out of Jerusalem and there's commerce taking place. There's going to be a lot of activity similar to what happens on our earth today. But then it is going to be a perfect environment. There's no more curse. You'll, You'll go to work And you'll want to go to work. You'll love to work with the people in heaven. Everyone gets along. And those who are good stewards, who are good investors in what God has entrusted to us, there is a reward, the Bible says. You're going to be overseeing cities. For one servant, it was ten cities. For another, it was five. But then we come to the wicked servant. The wicked servant is verses 20 through 26. The Bible says this. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him. And give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We're all going to be called into account. Jesus has invested in all of us as his, as his children. We have received the full inheritance of the Son of God. And Jesus expects you and I to invest back into his kingdom while he's, he's away. And here we see this wicked servant. And what did he have to show for himself? The one minor. What had he done with the one mina? He had wrapped it up in a handkerchief and put it safely in the drawer. 
Why did he do that? Because he saw the king as a strict and exacting person. And he didn't want to experience his wrath if he had invested unwisely. He had a distorted perspective of who the king is. My question to you this morning is, what's your view of God? Do you see God as a cosmic killjoy who just wants to rain down on your parade? I mean, he's he's stern, he's exacting, and he's just looking for you to make a mistake so that he can zap you? If that's the kind of God that you serve, then that's, Jesus is saying, that's the reaction you're going to get on judgment day. That's not who God is. The Bible says in Psalm 86, 15, it says, you are compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. The Bible says he gave his one and only son for your salvation. This is the God that we serve. But this isn't what This wasn't the wicked servant's concept of who God was. And he put his mina away. He protected it. Church, that is not what God wants to do with the investment that he's entrusted to us. My question to you this morning is, what are you doing with your mina? What are you doing with his truth? Do you appreciate his truth? Are you getting to know the God of this book? And loving God and knowing God through this book. How do you spend your time? Are you serving him? Are you encouraging others around you? Are you serving in the life of the church? Are you praying for those who, who, who lead here at the church? How are you investing your time? God has given all of us ample opportunities to build his kingdom. Are you doing that? Or are you just, is it all wrapped up in a handkerchief? Jesus through this parable church is telling us we're all going to be held accountable. 
We are all going to stand before him. And he's not talking about our salvation, okay? Our salvation was taken care of at the cross. It's secure. Nothing can defeat that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But when it comes to our works, the Bible says we're all going to be held accountable. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, gives us a, a snapshot of what's going to happen at the judgment seat for believers. Verse 12 says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You're a, a believer who has just taken the investment God's put into your life and you've just put it in a handkerchief and put it in a, in a drawer. The Bible says on the day of judgment, God's going to take that investment and he's going to put a, a, a match under it. And if it was built out of wood, hay, or stubble, the Bible says it's just going to burn to a crisp and you're not going to have anything to show for yourself and you're going to lose. Does that mean you lose your salvation? No. No, you're going to get to heaven, but it's going to be smell like you've been through a campfire. But if you're here this morning and, and you're one of those who don't want to bring attention to yourself, you're just one of those faithful servants who loves Jesus and just wants to serve for his kingdom. You're just grateful for all that God has done in your life. When you stand before the throne, it wasn't about you, but it was all about him. Most likely you've built your life out of gold, silver, and precious stone. And when God puts a fire to that that good work, it's just going to purify it. And great will be your reward. My friends, there is going to be a judgment day, Jesus says. What are you doing with the investment that he's entrusted to you? And then finally, in this passage of scripture, Not only is Jesus going to judge believers, but he's going to judge unbelievers. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Going back to verse 14 of this parable, when the nobleman went away, The contingency from that same area said, no, we don't want him as king. When Jesus 
comes to Jerusalem as we're continuing to walk through Luke, there is going to be contingency that's going to, to yell and scream and shout, no, he is not our king. And if we continue in that kind of lifestyle with that attitude, the Bible says that God is going to judge them and he's going to judge them severely. I mean, those words, those last words in verse 27, and slaughter them before me. That's disturbing that Jesus would say those words. But Jesus is giving them their desires. Jesus is going to do everything humanly and divinely possible to keep people from destroying themselves, to keep people from going to hell. He doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't want you to destroy your life. That's why Jesus died in your place. He loves you. He did everything possible to keep you from going there. But there's going to be a day when God is going to give man the desire for his, of his heart for all eternity. So as we conclude this message, I have some questions. Questions about investing for Jesus. First question is this, which faithful servants have you benefited from? Think back over your Christian life. Who are you thankful for? I think about my life and I think about Jerry Tillman. Jerry Tillman was my first first pastor in, in a Southern Baptist church in Fresno. And he was a godly man. He taught me how to be a loving, uh, godly pastor. And, and I'm far from who he was, but uh, he just poured himself into me and gave me an opportunity to serve in that church um, when I was yet a senior in high school. I'm thankful for my former pastor, Rob Zinn, who took me and a few other college guys and uh, and poured his life into us, and he showed us the highs and the lows of what it was like to be a pastor. He he didn't candy coat it. Uh, We walked with, with him through it. Think about the people who've who've gone before us here in this room. Some of you are enjoying the fruit of somebody else's investment. You didn't buy those buy that chair that you're sitting in today. You didn't remodel this room or or sixty thousand square feet of this building that uh, we're able to enjoy today with all these all the different age groups of our church. Now, some of you have, because I see the scars, okay? And you have invested. And I want to say is, as your pastor, thank you. It wasn't about you. You paid it forward. And now others who've, 
or coming behind you are experiencing, enjoying the fruit of your labor. We have a responsibility, church. You have a responsibility, Christian. Jesus has invested you. He has given, poured everything into you. What are you doing with your mina? How are you paying it forward? Second, what kind of king do you think Jesus is? Do you know him as your as your as your loving Lord and Savior? He's slow to anger. He's long on kindness and compassion. He wants to be in relationship with you. And all he asks us to do is to believe. Yes, Jesus, you died for me. You lived the life I couldn't live. He wants to save you. Third, do you understand the judgment of believers versus the judgment of unbelievers? We're all going to be judged. The Bible says that everyone is going to bend the knee and say, Jesus is Lord of all. My encouragement to you is that you do that voluntarily today. Because there's going to be a time where you're going to bend the knee whether you want to or not. And if you don't, that is going to be a very sad day. Number four, if Jesus returned today, would he be pleased with your investment? What do you have to show for him? Is it wrapped in a handkerchief, tucked in a drawer? It's not too late. Get it out and invest. Let me just share this. You know, I I shared a few weeks ago that that uh, we're not going to be here in the dining hall forever. We need to do. We need to enhance some things in the chapel and that we want to go back into the chapel and we want to go in back into the multi-purpose room and we want to be one church and we want to be worshiping together, not be identified with a contemporary service or a, or a tradition service. We want to be one people of God glorifying Jesus together. Some of you are having a hard time with that. I was talking to one lady this morning and concerned. Now for her, Pastor, I'm going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. But I'm concerned, Pastor, that if we don't sing, sing the hymns the way they're sung in the Baptist hymnal, that there's going to be some people who leave. We haven't had this issue for the last couple years because we've been in two different style services. But as the elders of this church, we want to come together 
as one body. And that doesn't mean we all do it in a contemporary way, and that doesn't mean we do it all in a traditional way. We want to do it in a way that glorifies God. And the the traditions venue, they're going to have a part in in uh, future worship services. They're going to be playing. They're going to be leading us in worship once a month. Uh, in fact, it will be next week. And... Uh, when there's five Sunday there's uh, five Sundays in a month, they're going to do it two Sundays of that in that month. But whether they're leading or the chapel team's leading, we just want to worship Jesus. It's not about the song we didn't sing or the song we should have sung. No, it's about Jesus. It's Jesus that holds us together. And we're not all going to get our own way. And I hope that senior adults won't leave. And I just want to encourage you in love as your pastor I want to encourage you to be sacrificial and cheer on the generation that's coming behind you. Because you're not going to be here forever. None of us are going to be here forever in this flesh. But when you're gone, don't you want to see the church thrive? For the church to thrive, you know what? We've got to invest ourselves. We've got to die to ourselves so that God can do an amazing work. And I don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead with our church. I was going to mention this earlier, but you've noticed the bulletin, uh, but um, the month of August was not a strong financial month. Okay, now I know it's summer, and... uh, Summer is always a challenge financially. But folks, we believe, the the elders have believed that God wants us to provide for a worship pastor for our church. For us to have a worship pastor, the finances are going to have to grow so that we can afford that, Pastor. And we're not going to do anything foolishly. If we can't afford it, we're not going to call, call someone. but I just want to encourage all of us to pay it forward. It's not just about today. It's about tomorrow. Our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Jesus has given all of us a mina to be used for his glory to be invested wisely. You pray for your elders because we want to do the godly, wise thing that will honor Jesus. But I encourage you, what is the part God would have you to play? Let's pray.
Father, thank you for believing in us, for knowing our name even before we were born and sending your son to die in our place. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love, a love that will never fade away. Lord, help us to appreciate all that Jesus has done for us. Lord, help us to love your gospel. Help us to love your truth. Help us, Lord, to take the time that we have and use it for your honor and glory. God, there are opportunities for all of us to be kingdom builders whether it's through our checkbook, whether it's through our cell phone and calling someone, whether it's working in the preschool area or the children's or the youth ministry or teaching an adult Bible study class or a life group. God, you want us to be involved. Help us to invest. Thank you for those who have paid it forward in so many ways in this church. God, they don't want their name in lights. They're behind the scenes folks that help make this church what she is today. Make it strong and healthy and vibrant. God bless them. Know know that Lord, when they stand before you, They're going to hear good and faithful servant. Well done. Welcome. Welcome into the kingdom of heaven. May we all long to hear that. Forgive us, Father, for those areas that we have wrapped in our handkerchief. Help us to get it out. Help us to serve you in Jesus name